Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info. We're back with On Second Thought from GPB. I'm Virginia Prescott. It is high season for commencement celebrations. The Georgia Department of Education says 74 school districts across the state recorded 2018 graduation rates at or above 90 percent putting the overall high school graduation rate at an all-time high. Mentorship programs could be one factor, and we're hearing from a few innovators in the field. Kimberlyn Bolton is Operations Director from Reimagine ATL. Hello, Kimberlyn. Hi, Virginia. How are you today? Very well. Really glad to have you all here. And Phil Olalie. That's right. uh, Got it. Is Executive Director of Next Generation Men and Women. Welcome. Thanks, Virginia. Well, thanks so much for being here. And Phil, it's it's such an interesting origin story for Next Generation Men and Women. Started by teachers. How'd it come together? Yeah, so Next Generation Men and Women was was founded by three regular educators here in the Atlanta space who just saw uh, a need for providing positive exposure to uh, work environments and professionals for underserved students, uh, particularly young men of color at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, just the very real socioeconomic barriers that just make it more difficult to to graduate, let alone uh, achieve some degree of post-secondary success. So they started by just piloting a program you know, pulling in partners, local companies, corporations, and physically bringing students into these spaces to interact with professionals and just start to stretch their imaginations around what's possible, what's out there in the Atlanta space, uh, but realized that it wasn't enough. Exposure wasn't enough. Uh, it was great in terms of being able to um, uh, have targets or goals, but how do I get there? And so uh, Next Generation was really built on this premise that if we can provide exposure to diverse career pathways, professionals, work environments, and couple it with uh, regular professional support, uh, we can create a pathway to success for our students to not only graduate, but to be ready and committed to college or career. So how do students yeah. see people who are working in the field that they want to work in or do you know, don't even know they want to work in? Yeah, I mean, exposure is everything. We, we really operate from a, a mindset that in order to become something, you have to experience it. And in order to experience it, you have to see it. And so what we do is we have a pretty intensive after school program that uh, form student cohorts starting in the ninth grade. And so we have 15 to 20 young men and young women who start off in the ninth grade and really focus on personal identity, team cohesion, exploring post-secondary pathways. Uh, and then the second half of that program model is building a plan. And so throughout the twice a week after school sessions that are being facilitated by teachers on site and college undergraduates throughout the Metro Atlanta area, they're taking what we call exposure experience trips to a variety of different companies, organizations, and college campuses just to see what's out there in terms of industries, to interact with different sets of professionals with, uh, you know, who come from all different stripes, backgrounds, orientations, job functions. And for them, it's so eye-opening because uh, they rarely have access to uh, know what's out there. And to see themselves in these spaces is such a, a confidence booster for our for our youth. 
Kimberlyn, how about for you, Reimagine ATL? What is, how does that program connect kids to, to mentors? Yes. So um, we have Reimagine ATL was founded four years ago by Susanna Specia with a mission to equip the next generation of storytellers. And we have a vision of a more safe, inclusive and equitable workforce in the film and digital media industry. And so we do that with a three point strategy. We do that by exposing, developing and placing students within the um, film and digital media industry. And through our exposure, we host several different workshops throughout the year, ones that are free, ones that are um, at a nominal fee that just show the students the different types of careers that you can have in the film industry. Because what we saw was a lot of the times we were going into the schools and talking to them about um, the careers that exist. And they would say actor or producer or director. And we were no, we were like, no, no, there's so many, so many <laughs> opportunities. And there's so many different ways that you can work in this industry. And that's our number one goal is to show them that all of these different careers exist in this one industry. So why the storytelling hook? What is that about? What's the connection there? Yeah, sure. The storytelling came from our founder again, who grew up in Alpharetta, Georgia, and she was just really discouraged because she didn't she didn't grow up seeing other people that did not look like her that looked that you know didn't mm-hmm. look the same as her, and so she wanted to create an environment where students could come together from all different backgrounds, all different races, um, all different socioeconomic status, and just come together with a common. Um, a common way to tell their story. She believed that everyone had a story. So if we could come together and share our stories and share our experience, we could really create empathy. So let's hear one story. Who would you, tell me about a kid. You don't have to say a last name, especially to protect a child's identity. <laughs> but, you know, somebody who came into the program who discovered something and what they discovered. Yeah, so one of my favorite stories to tell is um, we're currently working in one of the non-traditional high schools um, here in Atlanta. And those of you that know what non-traditional high schools are, it's... um, Another, it's an alternative high school where students are sent for bad behavior and they're written off and they're not, their voices aren't heard and no one really wants to hear what, what they're going through. And so one of our students started our program and he was very closed off. Um, and as we began to implement um, social emotional learning skills like meditation and improv, um, he was able to open up. And so in his exit interview, he said that for the first time, he felt like someone really heard him, mm. someone really cared about what he was experiencing. And he really found a way to channel his anger and to channel his frustration through the activities and through the programming that we were doing. So did they, in the end, make something? Did they become part of a production? Yes. At the end of the program, um, they were able to produce their own documentaries and, in fact, tell their own stories so that they're not having their stories told for them. And Phil, I know that's part of the focus for you all is the quiet middle, the student in the quiet middle. What does that mean exactly? So for us, uh, we define the quiet middle as any student who is oftentimes overlooked for enrichment uh, activities or who is kind of off in the back of the classroom needs an additional nudge or just some motivation to to just be activated as a student. And so uh, we have found that these are the students that have so much potential and promise, but are um, really not targeted or uh, given the attention that they need. So Uh, We find a lot of value in pairing, creating these student cohorts that are comprised of quiet middle students, allowing them to learn from one another, in addition to the mentorship, counsel, direction that they're receiving from the teachers and college students who are working with them twice a week. 
How do you find them? Do the teachers identify them? The teachers know who they are. Mm -hmm. um, they're usually silent. Uh, they're off in the, the, the back of the classroom. Um, they don't jump at opportunities to get involved in student groups or extracurriculars. And so, again, uh, when we're talking about susceptibility to uh, challenges, barriers, uh, influences, these are the students who are more susceptible to uh, those challenges and, and barriers. And you mentioned before that the after-school program is teachers and college students. Are mm -hmm. these all volunteers? So we contract work out to teachers and our college students. And yeah, so, I wondered about that because it seems like teachers have so much to do already. Isn't that part of the thinking? Many, many balls in the air. But for us, we wanted to have a resource on the ground that was easy, easily accessible Um for our students. And so we saw so much value in having someone who understands the lay of the land, land amenities, resources on site, but then coupling that with a college student who is only a few years removed from our high school students in terms of thinking about that next step, that next chapter, preparing uh, some sort of plan for uh, making it to high school and beyond and then being able to access the necessary resources and, and support to successfully do that. That's Phil Olalilie. I'm so sorry. Olalie. Olalie. Yeah. You know, I had it before the show. <laughs> Olalie, he's executive director of Next Generation Men and Women. And Kimberly Bolton is with us. She's operations director for Reimagine ATL. They're both really innovative mentorship programs, kind of taking new tacks and new ways of exposing students. And I think exposing is really the key here. What do we know about what mentoring does for kids? Well, in terms of the value proposition of mentorship, I don't have any specific data points to, to present out, but we do know in terms of high school graduation, post-secondary attainment, the populations that suffer most or that are oftentimes oft, more often left behind are uh, pop populations of youth who are socio, uh, have faced some sort of socioeconomic barrier or black and brown youth. And mm -hmm. so 2016-2017 um, school year, there are roughly 8,700 high school students who did not graduate and roughly 84 um, high school graduates who did not attain a post-secondary pathway within 16 months of having graduated. And that, that's significant because we know in today's workforce, without having some higher education experience, some sort of post-secondary certification or a training under your belt, it's hard to be competitive in the workforce. It's hard to be gainfully employed. And so when we're thinking about a city that works for all, uh, we have to develop everyone uh, in order to be competitive, in order to provide uh, real on-ramp ramps for uh, for all to uh, just attain, uh, right? Just a quality quality life. Now you uh, work in Title One schools, so these are student populations that are at least forty percent low income, receive federal funds. So a lot of great challenges beyond um, just getting through school for a lot of kids, a lot of basic needs not met. Your organization based in Atlanta, and of course, Kimberlyn, you're, you're working with the film industry and the media industry, so also in Atlanta. Do we know about Title I school challenges? Are they different in rural areas? Um, it's interesting uh, because we work mainly with um, the Atlanta metropolitan area, and but I have been talking with organizations um, who do work with uh, 
schools in the rural um, areas, and they face similar they face similar um, opportunities and issues because there's just no representation mm-hmm. available out there. And so I think it comes down to a matter of representation. And when you talk about mentorship, um, what in our experience when students can see people that look like them or come from where they come um, be successful and excel in the space that they want to excel in, it really, really matters. Uh, being someone being someone from a small town in Connecticut, we didn't have a lot of a whole lot of celebrities or a whole lot of successful people come from that space. But to be able to see someone who looked like me and to see someone who could come from the same place do what I want to do was so, so important. And so that's one thing we try to stress, especially with the mentorship, is to Um, allow our students to see those people um, excel in those areas. How do you get buy-in? You obviously have to have buy-in from corporate partners, people who are in the industry, who are scuttling around doing their own thing, letting kids in and working with them, seeing them, mentoring them, which is a one-on-one. Is that correct? Um, our mentorship, uh, our particular form of mentorship uh, looks very different. We do have one-on-one. We have a lot of group mentorship and a lot of job shadowing opportunities that we have available. Um, but it's a really good question that you ask because um, a couple of years ago, the Arthur and Blank Family Foundation, they've been supporting us for a while. They came to us and they said, you know, we really love what you guys are doing. We see that you're really providing the workforce development training for the students. We see that you're creating this pipeline to place students directly into the industry. However, we'd love to see more support from the industry to do this. And so what they did was they gave us a multi-year grant to help leverage um, the end, the film and entertainment industry so that they could help support what, what, what it is we're doing. And so at the beginning of uh, 2017, we launched the Reimagine ATL Alliance. And it's a network of companies within the film and entertainment industry who come together and say, I understand the mission and I understand and believe in the vision of a more safe, inclusive and equitable workforce. And so not only will we invest financially, but we will invest with more career exposure opportunities for your students. We will stand there. We will be mentors. um, We will provide um, education. We will provide resources for your students. So for you, Phil, uh, you just got an ambitious ex-grant, right? Uh, Congratulations on that. Thank you. But I'm curious where you mentioned something about kids going on to post-secondary school or secondary school educations. Not everybody is built for that. How do you work with students who aren't necessarily college-bound? I think our position is to provide options, and so we're agnostic. We're not tracking students to four-year institutions or colleges. We're not tracking them to to two-year vocational or technical schools. We are simply saying these are the opportunities and possibilities that exist out in the workforce and out Uh, in the world beyond high school and providing them with a representative sample of what's out there so that they can exercise their own agency to pick and choose what's right for them. So if it does uh, look if if it does look somewhere in in the flavor of, you know what, I want to pursue this 13 month apprenticeship program with uh, an automotive um, uh, factory. It's our job to provide them with information on what that path entails in terms of wages earned, in terms of a career path for them. And if they choose to still pursue that, we're going to back them 110 percent. I'm wondering about the transition for you. We've just got a minute and a half left. You said you started out working with African-American young men and have since transitioned to include women. What was behind that decision? For us, it's just realizing that these challenges aren't just affecting our young men. 
Um, these are deep uh, barriers and uh, challenges that are holding back progress and success for our young women as well. And so it was unfair for our organization to be providing these opportunities and resources exclusively to young men without providing those to also uh, to our uh, young women who are interested in learning and just gaining exposure to the professional world, um, higher education, and then having the support to uh, access and attain a post-secondary pathway of their choosing. Phil Olalier there, Executive Director of Next Generation Men and Women. I also spoke to Kimberlyn Bolton, Operations Director at Reimagine ATL. That is it for today. On Second Thought is produced by Amelia Brock, Leighton Rowell, and the Raven Taylor. Jesse Neiswanger is our engineer. Don Smith, our Dean of Grammar. Amy Kiley is senior producer. And Sarah Shariari is managing editor for GPB News. Music today by Kevin Morby. Our interns are Allison Krausman and Jake Troyer. We invite your comments, questions, and civil complaints at our Facebook group, GPB Radio On Second Thought. We're on Twitter at OST Talk. You can email us at onsecondthought at gpb.org or leave us a message at 404-500-9457. I'm Virginia Prescott on Facebook at Virginia Prescott GPB, which could frankly really use some love. We're here Monday through Friday at 9 or anytime when you subscribe to our podcast. Hit the Programs tab for On Second Thought at gpbnews.org to subscribe. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.